This is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and we are bringing you the last episode of 2019. Um, We are in study 50 in the Come Follow Me manual. And we'll be studying in Revelations today, ending out the book of Revelations, um, and that's in chapters 12 through 22. This is episode, let's see, we're over 100 now because we've done a couple... And something, yeah. yeah. we've done a couple bonuses here and there, but um, I can't believe we've made it this far. Here yeah. we are. We've been... Oh, you were going to say... I was just going to say thanks for following along with us. Thanks yeah. for being here and thanks for listening. Yeah, totally. We were debating if we should give a little bit of a preview, an update of what's coming, and I decided that Zach needs to give it in his best impersonation. He's actually really good at impersonations. I feel like you did some in the first, in season season one of our podcast last year. Did you? I don't know. I probably tried to forget it if I did. Yeah, right? Well, I didn't warn you on this, so maybe you want to practice your impersonations. Nope, but I got it. I'm ready. I think that before we start our <laughs> coming attractions for next year, I think we should hear it in your in your best uh, movie voice. Let's hear it. It was meant to be just a podcast for their children, but it became something so much more. Now, the Scripture Study Project has thousands of listeners and is bringing together scripture studiers worldwide. Next year, the Book of Mormon. We'll be bringing in guest podcasters. We'll be playing vintage episodes from two years ago that we already recorded. And we'll be recording new content from your favorite hosts, Zach and Krista Horton. Gear up. You've never had a study like this. Wow. <laughs> I hope people didn't didn't hurry and turn off when they heard that. No, that was that was great. I didn't think you were gonna say the whole movie preview. Little did I know you've been practicing this all year long. <laughs> this moment you've my just whole been life. waiting for this. I'm gonna take over for the movie guy when he's gone. It kind of turned into a little bit of a scary man old man voice i think there in the middle but isn't that great kind of sounds like the movie guy right he has some other great impersonations and that might be a coming attraction for next year more impersonations from zach no no but we are really excited for the book of mormon um we're as i've mentioned in the previous we're just thrilled to be a part of this really big growing community um and so next year we want to provide some unique things um, we will have a lot more guest, uh, guests on our podcast that are uh, going to study with us and share their insights and thoughts. Um, we will be playing some of our favorite episodes from 2018 when we studied the Book of Mormon. Of course, those are still available. You can go back and listen to them. We might even be doing a couple more videos here and there, YouTube videos or Facebook or Instagram Lives. Yeah, we do have a YouTube channel already that you can stream that you can listen from, but there's no video with it. But one of the things with our study records that we sent out, we thought it would be a great thing to um, provide some some visual there. And um, we'll probably be utilizing that YouTube channel a little bit for that, as well as getting giving you study tips to actually use your study records for those of you who have those, providing some more resources on our website. So we've got, I think we've got a lot of fun things coming up and planned. And so we're excited for next year and excited to get back in the Book of Mormon as well, but we're not there yet. So 
we get to end with this episode today in Revelations. Uh, not Revelations. Revelation. Sorry, I did that last episode too. And it's happens to be my worst pet peeve is, in case you wanted to know but you didn't, um, that when people add an S to things, like an example is Zion's. It's just Zion National Park. Anyway, here I go doing it. But... Anyway, on to the important things. We're actually going to start with a question that we got that we think um, fits in great with this episode. And it comes from Caitlin Hawker. And she mentioned that she has been intrigued with the idea of second of the second coming. And I'm going to kind of par- paraphrase her message here. But um, she was just saying that, you know, as she's been studying in the Book of Mormon and the New Testament, how it talks so much about um, the coming of Christ whether that's the birth or his second coming. She gets so excited about it and wants to talk about it with more people, but then maybe she feels a little a little funny about is she speculating too much or, you know, it's something we all believe in, but how do we kind of change that taboo feeling that comes around it when we are talking about it? So we thought with this episode, um, this is kind of something that this we talk about in this episode anyway. So we just wanted to share some thoughts on thoughts on that. And I just had one thought. This is a question I think is is brilliant. How do we talk about the second coming in a way that conveys our real belief in it, um, but also in a way that doesn't make it sound like it's weird and like we're some cult waiting for something weird. Um, and so this is a question I'd love to get other people's comments or thoughts on. Which So if you do, um, find us on Instagram and post on this week's episode because we'd love to know what your answers are. The one that came to me, though, is... At the end of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, first epistle to the Thessalonians, this is chapter 5. Um, he says, verse 2, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, or as a woman goes into labor. And they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Um, I've loved that imagery of a woman in labor as a symbol of the second coming, because even though you don't know the exact moment, you do know the signs. Um, I always think of when we had our first child, and we went to the hospital. We were seven days past, well, eight days was when the birth happened. But so we're seven days after the, the due date. And you were having regular tightenings of the stomach, which we called contractions. But we you never had a contraction before. So it was this kind of cute thing of like, oh, look, my stomach's tightening. It's happening every four or five minutes. We should go to the hospital. We're going to have a baby. So we loaded up and had this wonderful, like, happy drive to the hospital. And we get there. And I swear the nurse took one look at us and just said, you're not in labor. But... Took us into the triage room. Of course, this is not labor. And they kept saying the same frustrating thing of, you'll know. When you're in labor, you'll know. And we were really frustrated at that because we're like, what do you mean we'll know? We thought this was it. Well, the next morning at four o'clock in the morning, when an actual contraction hit, then we knew. And um, because we knew what that felt like in successive births, we were able to be more aware of the signs that led up to the delivery. And I think the second coming is a lot like that. And so I like the image of watching and waiting for a delivery, paying attention to the signs, knowing that it's going to happen, um, even though it seems like a crazy thing that this 
woman is going to birth another human being. That's about as crazy a proposition as possible, and yet it happens, and we're glad that we're prepared for it. Well, the second coming, I think, is very similar in that it sounds like a crazy proposition that a man that once lived on the earth is going to come again, and he's going to be king of the earth. But that's what people thought about the first coming of Christ, and it happened. And so for this second coming of Christ, maybe we can prepare ourselves a bit better. Maybe we can be more prepared or more ready and more vigilant and watch because we're children of the light and children of the day. So that's my thought. I don't even know if it answers the question, but that's the thought that I had as I listened to it. But again, we'd love to hear any of your thoughts that you have to share with us. I really love that thought. I think for me, in thinking really about the way I feel about the second coming is, I don't know, this question really had me thinking, maybe we put too much emphasis on the event of the second coming. It's the second coming, the second coming. We remove the fact that it's the second coming of our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and maybe even our friend. Um, I think for me, a lot of my hope and my faith is rooted in the fact that um, I do believe that Jesus is going to come again. And I believe in these things that these prophets are saying. And so I really look forward to um, meeting Jesus Christ and to what, what that feeling, I get emotional even thinking about it. I, I remember, um, I actually love these verses. I think it was on my mission that I listened to this song, but it's called worthy to stand, worthy to stand. And, um, it's by Jesse Clark Funk and the words read this. And I think this applies to what we're going to be studying here. It says when the war is won and the battles of his life are through, when the Savior comes and the earth is whole and new, I will fall on my knees for the mercy he has shown to me. I will give all that I am just to touch his pierced and wounded hands. Um, and I think of that a lot, actually, that kind of that vision of of what that's going to feel like and be like. And, and honestly, that's that's what I picture most often when I think of the second coming. And maybe instead of just focusing on the event of second coming, we add the second coming of Jesus Christ and it makes it feel um, a little more natural and a little more normal because like, like, the, like she mentioned in her question, the scriptures, um, the Book of Mormon and the New Testament that we've been studying, it is so focused and so centered. The prophets are all prophesying of, of um, Jesus Christ, either his first or his second coming. And so I think when we um, feel that and know that, um, it becomes a lot more natural for us to talk about. So anyway, we would, like Zach said, we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this because I think obviously we don't have the answer, just some thoughts, but even get a little bit of a discussion going. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And maybe this episode today as we get started in Revelation can even um, answer that a little bit further. Wonderful. Um, well, you mentioned war. That's exactly what this second half of the book of Revelation is about. Um, here are the two sides. This is chapter 12. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head was the crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. That symbolic representation of the coming of Christ. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Um, 
there's the two sides. The child, later on the lamb, which symbolizes, of course, the Savior, and this red dragon with his beasts that are labeled and described, his uh, prophetesses, uh, those that aid him and assist him on the other side. Just to get some context, um, I like the perspective it gives me to review the great wars in human history, just to place this war between Satan and Jehovah in its proper context. So, if I were to ask you to guess the the most um, devastating wars in history, you'd probably be able to get many of the top ones right. For example, uh, World War II resulted in the most casualties of any war um, and of course, the numbers are difficult to estimate, but between 60 to 85 million people died in World War II. Um, the Mongol conquests of China, between 40 and 70 million. The Three Kingdoms War in China, 36 to 40 million. Um, the Qing Dynasty conquest of China, 25 million. And then you have like World War I, 17 million. Um, Russian Civil War, 5 million. Napoleonic Wars, 3.5 to 6 million, and so on and so forth. Anyway, if you total all this up, you're probably getting close to hundreds of millions, maybe even close to millions. I haven't done the math to figure it out, but take that and contrast it with the war that goes on between Satan and Jehovah. It has it began in the councils of heaven before we came to earth. It goes on still today and will go on until, and this is described in chapter 16, Verse 16, though, uh, it labels, well, chapter 16 describes this final war between uh, the forces of good and the devil or the, the dragon and his army. And it's called, in verse 16, the Battle of Armageddon because it's named after an actual place uh, in the neighboring area uh, called Megiddo. And Har Megiddo means the mountain of. And so it happens in the valley of or the mountainish area around that. And it's called Armageddon because it's the final battle between good and evil. And so this war has been going on forever and has resulted in, if not physical death, which those physical deaths could probably be attributed to much of Satan's influence on the earth, but the spiritual death of billions upon billions and billions of people. So this war is serious. I can't remember where I heard this, and I've tried to find the quote ever since, but someone saying that compared to the war in heaven, the war that we face now on earth and the war to come, the war in heaven was just a skirmish. Now, whether that's true or not, this war, from its pre-mortal beginning to its post-mortal end, um, is big. And it can be scary. And so the question that guides our study in these final chapters of the book of Revelation is, how do you win? Knowing, of course, that Jesus conquers, how do we make sure that we're allied with him, that we can win our individual battles, and that we can contribute to the winning of the overall war. So that's our study, and that's we're going to name a couple of things as we always do, but you'll find many other things as you study these final chapters, specifically about your personal wrestles and personal battles. Yeah, it is really cool that we get to see this battle played out in this way and get the chance to learn so many things. So I'm just going to start out first um, in chapter 12. And like Zach mentioned, this is a description of the war in heaven. And I love these verses, um, starting in Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you will dwell in them. Um, and what I love there is 
they conquered him by the blood of the lamb. I think it can be really easy um, to feel lost or to feel like you're lose. Maybe you've already lost or that you're losing the battle. Um, but that remember to put the savior at the center of what you're doing and what you're feeling and what you're fighting because um, they've already conquered. And to remember that you have already conquered him once before in the in the war in heaven. You are here on earth because you have chosen to be here and to be on the Lord's side. Um, and you have the chance to continue to have him and to, like it says in this verse, conquer him by the blood of the lamb. It's a really cool thought to think. Um, you know that you have, even though we don't remember it, you know that you have already beaten the adversary once in your existence, which then motivates us to know that we can beat him again in our mortal trials and difficulties and, of course, in the in the eventual battle to come. Yeah, I love that. Um, the two chapters that I kind of found myself studying were chapters 13 and 14. Um, I read Sun Tzu's Art of War, at least excerpts from it for a business class of all things. But one of the statements that I liked from it, I dug through my notes a little while ago, was this. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. That quote stood out to me as I studied chapters 13 and 14, because it seemed like one of the things that John's doing in this revelation is in chapter 13, describing the enemy so that we can know that enemy and are familiar with his tactics. And then chapter 14, describing us and our relationship with Jesus Christ so that we uh, can be confident in our own abilities or, or in our strength through the Lamb. So in chapter 13, John begins verse 1 by saying this, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. There was a wonderful article in the December Enzyme about not getting caught up in the numbers and trying to figure out the puzzle of Revelation. Of course, we just remember that this is John trying to describe as vividly as he can primarily the Savior and his conquest of the forces of evil. And so there are ways to read into these numbers and figure out what does number seven symbolize, what does number 10 symbolize, and what did that mean to ancient readers. And all of that is wonderful and can can deepen your study in some specific ways. But just remembering that this is a symbol of um, these forces that are arrayed against us, that the dragon has combined to wage war against this this woman, these the, this church and, and those that belong to it. Uh, listen to his descriptions of the enemy. Verse 5. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and then that dwelt in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Uh, verse 11. Behold, another beast cometh out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He's copying the lamb, but speaking like the dragon, and exerciseth all power over the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Again, another imitation, a wound which was healed compared to the Savior's wounds which were not healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven and the earth in the sight of men. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, 
saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound of the sword and did live. Um, there's a lot in there, but the things that stand out to me as far as what we need to know about the enemy, one, he is, of course, and always has been and always will be, a great deceiver. He'll imitate the Savior, even imitating his miracles um, as close as he can possibly get to draw away people that should be drawn to the Savior and are drawn to him. And of course, if we were to open this up to a discussion, my guess is you could probably name some of Satan's most diabolical deceptions, uh, some of his closest imitations. Um, the second thing that stands out to me, though, is the blasphemy that the thing that he speaks is this blasphemy. He makes God, he makes the tabernacle or the temple, he makes religion something to laugh at. Um, I've been troubled lately as I've just listened to public discourse at how light-minded we are about sacred things. Um, it's seeping into our discussions, that are the, the discussions we have with our teenagers, or at least the discussions that they're having. It's even seeping into the, our children where the way that we talk about sacred and spiritual things is light-minded. It's it's joking. It's sarcastic. It's snarky. It's um, Which is probably back to that question. One of the reasons it can be hard to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, that's yeah. secularism. And so if that's what our enemy is doing, of course, the thing to fight against him is to not give in to the deceptions and not give in to the temptation, temptation to be blasphemous. Uh, let's treat sacred things as sacred. Let's treat the temple and our families and our relationships, our relationship with God, God's thoughts and cares and love for the world. Let's treat that as something special and sacred um, because I think that's one of the adversary's greatest tricks that he's trying to employ. In chapter 14, it's all about us. And there's a number that shows up in chapter 14 that's kind of famous in verse 1, 144,000. Back in chapter 7, one of my favorite uh heard lots of discussions about who that 144,000 is. But I love in chapter 7, in verse 9, after there's a listing of the 144,000, it says this, And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. In other words, I don't think... Um, that this 144,000 is the only people that get into heaven. They're the only ones that are righteous, the only ones that are waging the war. There's a great multitude that no one can number, of which we are a part, that are taking part in this final battle. And as part of that battle, there's a couple of things in chapter 14 that I like. Contrast this with what we read in chapter 13. These are they which were not defiled. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These are they being redeemed from among men, being the first fruits of God and of the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And then verse 12, this phrase shows up in chapter 13 and in, verse, in chapter 14. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. I love those that, I love the descriptions that we follow Jesus Christ wherever he goes without guile in our mouths and that we're patient and faithful. Um, those two things are difficult for me, to be patient and faithful, and I'm working on them. But that's how we win, is to be patient and faithful and follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Thinking of that battle between good and evil, which I love those things that you shared. I think that can be so valuable as we um, really study what what Satan 
how he works. I think we can learn so much about ourselves too. Um, but I couldn't help but notice this as maybe a tactic to add on to what Zach was saying. Um, this is in verse in chapter 18, verse 4. He says, Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. Um, that phrase, come out of her. Of course, that's referring to Babylon. And we, I think it, simplifies it in a lot of ways. And I know that there can be many hard things when we're stuck in sin or when we're stuck in, in a hard spot for whatever reason that might be. Um, but come out, um, come away from, from it. I have to share an experience that I had, um, on my mission. I was working with a few people that were trying to overcome hard things and get out of, out of that spot, whether that was an addiction And I remember um, writing my dad. He had come back to the church when I was a teenager and just remember writing him and saying, how did you do that? I could have possibly been a teenager that was not really attentive, which was probably true. But um, to me, it looked like he just decided what he was going to do. And he started coming back back to the faith and started coming back to church. And I was so impressed by that, especially seeing firsthand people going through this really hard transition to come out like this scripture says. And I remember a letter that um, I received from him after asking him about what he had done, because I was so curious, how had he made this change? And his response was very simple. He just said, I decided that I was done with that and I changed. Um, now, of course, there that's maybe a simple answer for um a lot of hard things that people go through. I'm not trying to discount anything that people go through with addiction, but um, I do know that there's power in um, maybe even going back to what we talked about at the beginning, that we, he, we've already conquered with Christ and that you can use him again to come out of Babylon, whatever your Babylon is at this time. Um, and I just, I often remember those words from my from my dad and that um, brings me a lot of strength in my own in my own trials. A friend of ours, shout out to Garrett Shields, mentioned to us uh, a week ago or two weeks ago an insight he had as he was studying Revelation, which was on one side of this war is a dragon and beasts with all these heads and crowns and thorns and whatever. And the victorious side is captained by a lamb. And it's this lamb that actually wins. Well, just a couple of verses then in conclusion you'll find many more things to answer the question of how do you win your own personal wars as you study. But one thing that motivates us, um, Bruce R. McConkie once, once said about the book of Revelation that it's the most motivating of all books because it gives the most minute depiction and description of the celestial kingdom of any book, which it does. You go to chapter 21 um, and just listen. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Um, I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Um... 
Verse 22, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it, and the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The whole chapter is about this description of what happens, what we get because we're on the victorious side. And one thing that I love about the whole book of Revelation is the outcome is known. It's not a mystery as to which side wins, the lamb or the dragon. The lamb wins. We are on the winning team. Yes, it takes patience and endurance, and it takes some strategies in our own personal battles. But as far as the outcome of the war, we win. And this is the reward that Christ has, has earned for those that are faithful to him. He charts the course, and we get to follow him wherever he goes, and then rejoice with him in that final resting place. And I just, I love that. Thanks again for this year, for studying with us. Um, we're looking forward to studying with you next year in the Book of Mormon and lots of fun things planned ahead. Um, I will say that I don't think we mentioned this part, that we will be back in the new year. So we will not have an episode out next Monday. We're going to wait until after the new year to get um, next month out. But We're taking a break, yo. <laughs> we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we will see you in 2020. Or we'll hear you in 2020 talk to you in 20 yeah <laughs>